Something as simple as incoterms, the international commercial terms, and I'm talking about things like X-Works and free carrier and cost and freight and, and those terms. And I'm reminded of it because, again, the International Chamber of Commerce updates the INCO terms every 10 years. So they just went in on Jan 1, and I've done a number of online as well as in-person trainings on this subject. Welcome to Profiles. I'm Brian Glick, Chain.io's founder and CEO. On this episode, we're going to be talking to Dan Gardner. Dan is the president and co-founder of Trade Facilitators. Trade Facilitators works with all of us in the industry to advance education. They provide training and consulting on how to best use all of the different tools that we have in the industry to advance our business goals. A little bit of a trigger warning on this one. If you've ever been buried in a deep, deep conversation on Inco terms, and that's going to set you off. You might want to steer away as Dan and I uh, both have loved that topic and got pretty deep. So otherwise, have fun, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, Dan. It's uh, so nice to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into supply chain and logistics? Well, that's uh, that's going back a few years, but I'm uh, originally from Massachusetts, and I actually had a interest in Spanish in high school that took me to be an exchange student when I was a senior in high school. I actually kind of caught the international bug as a result of that experience. And when I got out of college, I grew up, I'd say, 10 miles from Logan Airport in Boston, Massport, and that being a hub in the New England for international trade, I went to a trade show down there, handed out 50 resumes to people I didn't know. And one guy called me back and he was a customs broker. And that's how that's how I got in the industry. I'm, I'm only laughing because I, I also randomly ended up starting at a customs broker. Oh, did you really? I, I didn't know that. Yes. Uh, found a job, uh, came, came in from the computer side, but uh, just circled a couple jobs in the in the local newspaper. Uh, and for those younger listeners, that was a physical piece of paper that was delivered to your house every day. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I circled a few of those and uh, one of them was a customs broker and now I'm stuck. Yeah. All, all I knew after being an exchange student and going to, to college and such was that I wanted to work in some facet of international trade. You know, who knows? I could have ended up in, in pharmaceutical work or on the technology side. It just so happened that I grew up near Logan Airport. And back in those days, you kind of had to go to those trade shows and hand out resumes. And it was just, you use the word random, I'd say it was a pretty random event. So uh, a lot of people show up on their first day and then uh, they're out, right? <laughs> so what, what made you stay? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think the, the main thing, and I've said this many times over my career, it's the diversity of experiences that one can have in the workplace, whether you work in operations or sales or even accounting and finance, the technology side. I, I was in the freight, what we used to call freight forwarding and customs brokerage, now the 3PL industry. And I worked in sales during the day and I worked part-time operations at night to learn a little bit about the business. And what you realize right away is that you can literally be dealing with five industries in one day, importing or exporting from anywhere in the world in the course of a single day or week. The, the opportunity to travel was always there. So I think the it was the diversity of experiences that really attracted me. And while anyone will have ups and downs in their career, 
it's just been an amazing lifelong experience that continues to this day. And I, what I loved about it then, I, I love about it now. So do you think, um, I know there's a lot of people who come in on the, um, maybe the sales side or the IT side and never really do the operations side. Uh, do you, if, if somebody's coming in, do you recommend sort of spending that time in operations? Does that help develop something you wouldn't get otherwise? I, I do. The short answer is yes, I do. Because in the end, especially in a sales role, speaking specifically to the 3PL logistics and supply chain space, really, really what you have, other than the organization that you work for and its physical footprint and offices around the world and service capabilities, if, if you're sitting in front of a customer and you work for a company, I, I worked for DHL Global Forwarding, there was 135,000 people in that one division. And if you're one person calling on a customer, you're representing everybody else. And essentially what you have is what's in your head. And it really comes down to the, the application of acquired knowledge, which, which is just a fancy way of saying, I don't think there's a born customs broker. I, I wasn't a born customs broker. I had to study and take the test. So I think you do have to work. You do have to gain that operational experience and then apply what you learn in the, in the workplace in real situations and be willing to make some mistakes along the way. So uh, that's, a, that's a good segue with, uh, with learning and, and taking a test. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're, what you're doing nowadays? Yeah. Well, my company, Trade Facilitators Incorporated, I actually incorporated the name. You, you might find this amusing. Back in 1994, only because I like the name. And I used to joke with my friends in the forwarding industry that I'm a trade facilitator and you're just a freight forwarder. Now, I said that facetiously, but after a while, it started to stick in my head and had that company for 13 years before I ever actually used it. So TFI, as it's called today, we do essentially three things. The learning component you, you mentioned, we do training, develop online classes for universities, trade associations, et cetera. We do the consulting piece, predominantly Trans-Pacific Eastbound, both supply chain and logistics, as well as trade compliance on the custom side. And then we do some marketing specific to companies in the supply chain space that are working towards digitizing the supply chain. So we do a little bit of everything, but that educational component has, has been a reflection of my own personal philosophy and commitment to education for the reasons we spoke of previously, the ability to apply what you learn in the marketplace, and was lucky enough to turn that philosophy, that passion really into a business model. And when you, when you can monetize what makes you happy, that's a good place to be. It certainly is. I'm put you on the spot here a little bit, but uh, is, there, is there something that as you go out in your consulting side that you just wish more people in the industry took the time to educate themselves, educate themselves on where, where you go out there and you're like, man, I, I keep hitting the same block over and over again that people just don't know this. Oh boy. How, how much time do we have? <laughs> what's, what's the top thousand? Well, it, it, there, there's probably lots of different subjects, but, but one that comes to mind and it's really a, a fundamental aspect of logistics and supply chain and timely because they change on the decade, something as simple as incoterms, the international commercial terms, and I'm talking about things like X-Works and free carrier and cost and freight and, and those terms. And I'm reminded of it because, again, the International Chamber of Commerce updates the INCO terms every 10 years. So they just went in on Jan 1, and I've done a number of online as well as in-person trainings on this subject. So it's fresh in my mind. 
But it, it seems like a, a seemingly unimportant subject that can have such ramifications for a supply chain, be it import or export, from a risk management perspective, from a financial perspective, from a customer service perspective, that to this day, it shocks me how, how little organizations know about IncoTerms or, or the lack of importance that they put on IncoTerms. So, I, I mean, I could go on for hours about different subjects, but that's that's one that's really fresh in my mind. I had a very, very similar experience with a client one time where they were coming to us for all sorts of reporting because their credit line was heavily influenced by how much inventory they had on hand. And they really didn't understand how their INCO terms impacted their ability, essentially their credit facility, because you know they didn't really understand when they were taking possession of the goods and, and that they actually owned things that they couldn't see. Yeah, well, that, that's one aspect of your own. Right, and that, that whole concept and how it, how it impacts everything. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's just so far reaching. It's like I said, it's just it's surprising to me that that organizations don't have a a policy and a strategy around eco terms because it does impact things like cash flow and risk management in terms of risk of loss or damage to the goods in transit and who's on the hook for what. And I I, I did a a two day class last week up in the Central Valley of California for the largest. Shippers Association, exporters of almonds and walnuts and pistachios. We're talking some major ocean container exports and just talking about the importance of, of incoterms. And you need literally have to have a policy and a, a strategic grounding for the incoterms that you choose. And if you don't, it, it becomes, to use that word again, random. And you don't want to get educated on incoterms live. <laughs> Read the book first, would be my advice. I would imagine, especially on a food shipment, right, with spoilage and all that fun stuff. Well, goodness, just how to properly pack and who's responsible for procuring the Ocean Bill of Lading, Incoterms 2020 changed as it relates to marine cargo insurance. How do you handle that? The, the list just goes on and on. So um, at, at, the, at the risk of, of depriving the audience of, of another hour of Incoterms, which I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure the two of us could certainly do. Yeah, uh, yeah. shift gears here a little bit. Um, can I? Who are some of the the influences on you? You know, through through your journey through the industry. Oh boy, um, th- there's been a number. Uh, well, I'll start with my parents for one. But just very supportive, put me through college, uh, helped me with graduate school. You know, and believed in me when my behavior would have indicated them not to believe in me. So let's start with them. Um, but I had a, a Spanish teacher in high school, that same person who got me involved in the exchange program in 10th and 11th grade, sorry, 11th and 12th grade, that just sparked my interest in languages and inspired me to continue studying Spanish. And I ended up in Latin America or in the 3PL space. So her name was Karen Brown, major, major influence there. And then career-wise, I've had a lot of good, just mentors and, and, and people that gave me an opportunity that otherwise, you know, my life may have taken a different direction. A lot of whom, actually, you might recall Fritz companies from back in the day, uh, since acquired by UPS some years back, but got my real break in the Port of Boston at Fritz companies, uh, starting with Lynn Fritz, who was the son of the founder, played a huge role they basically transferred me from Boston down to Bogota, Colombia, that really kick-started my career. 
guys like uh, Ralph Gazitua, who was the president of Latin America for Fritz Companies, um, my good friend and colleague from Fritz Boston, Ron Jordan, just a bunch of people that helped me out along the way. So across that journey, obviously, we all we all never stop learning, uh, which seems seems to be today's theme. But uh, what have you learned along the way that you really wish you knew at the beginning? You know, I I don't know if I didn't know it at the beginning, but maybe should have acknowledged it a, a little bit more. And, and we're, we're getting a little philosophical. Excuse me, we're getting a little philosophical here. But it's just how quickly time goes by in life in general, but career-wise as well. I've, I've been at this for 30 years. I'd, I'd like to be at it for another 15, uh, continue working and continue to be an adjunct professor, you know, well into the latter stages of my career. But it's just, like I said, I, I, I knew it. And you hear it all the time, you know, time flies and all these different cliches. Well, things become cliches oftentimes because they're true. And I wish that I had acknowledged that sooner in my career, perhaps taken things a little more seriously earlier in my career. And that would be the advice I'd, I'd give to to younger people. You're not going to be young forever. Uh, do, do most of the heavy lifting if you can uh, earlier in your career. And just kind of pace yourself, I guess, would, would be the best the best advice be because it is a, a marathon and I say it all the time, international trade is a contact sport. And if you think you're going to be successful all the time, you're going to be sadly disappointed. And when disappointment does come your way, you need to be in a, in a position to, to dust yourself off and get right back into it. No, I think, I think when I was on the sort of the customs side of the house, one of the things that excited me was you know in that realm of it being a contact sport that it's one of the one of those businesses where every day something is broken and there's an opportunity to fix it right that that there's never a day where there isn't some shipment that's delayed or some regulation that's changing or you know god knows what in this day and age but uh you know that that's going on that just gives you that that chance uh but yeah it's never it's never calm it's never smooth waters right yeah well you bring up an important point because i hear the term expert get thrown a lot around and i've been referred to that myself and i oftentimes cajole people a i don't consider myself an expert and beware the ones who consider themselves one and i'm talking specific to global trade now it's just so vast and so ever changing to your earlier point that it's it's hard to to imagine that one could know everything that one needs to know about global trade and and that knowledge should always continue to grow and be continuously learning will come over time you just have to be willing to to work and listen and put yourself out there in uncomfortable situations make mistakes rely on on the input of others and and move forward because that's it's global trade man emphasis on global a couple episodes ago i i had eric johnson from the journal of commerce on and he and i were discussing whether he posited that that it was uh, i might be mis misquoting this slightly but that that it was harder than global trade to learn uh and and my argument back to him was that uh, 
you know, the breadth of IT might be wider, but that the depth of any particular topic in global trade is so immensely deep, right? You can take, you know, a tariff number uh, or a chapter and spend a career and really still have difficulty, you know, classifying a piece of footwear, right? Or or looking at, you know, for me, I spent I spent some time doing duty drawback, and uh, you could spend a decade and still feel a little bit like a fish out of water jumping from a consumer goods drawback to an oil and gas drawback. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point to talk about because if you look at the technology, call, call it the analog versus the digital world, you know, the physical world versus what, what goes on in the technology space. And what, one thing that I've observed, and I'm not a technologist, nor do I profess to be, but there's a there's always been a gap. And I'm going back to when you know, the fax machine, what, what was the technology of the day, unfortunately, and through EDI, there, there's lots and lots of people and companies out there that know a lot about technology, but maybe not as much about global trade. And then you have people that know a lot about global trade out in the physical world, but not so much around the technology piece. So it's it's the company and people that can acquire knowledge in both those areas and bridge that gap that I think is the greatest opportunity. And your company is the prime example of that because I know you have that background as do many people in your company. And, and the opportunities, honestly, that I see for trade facilitators and myself and, and even people coming into the trade anew is to go out and acquire, and, and acquire those skills in both areas to the extent you can. And the value that you can create is almost limitless. Yeah, I will be the first to admit that even within the context of Chain IO and what we do, uh, you know, when when I founded this company, it, uh, what I would say is a pretty healthy understanding of international supply chain, right? From purchase order all the way through to sort of warehouse receipt, mm-hmm. uh, and what I've personally learned from engaging with customers on a um, kind of other areas of the industry, right? So how do you properly rate a, a drayage move or, you know, various things we're dealing with on the domestic side and how they, how they're different than the international side. You know, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not still learning just from a, you know, sort of that intersection of just the tech and, and, and the world, uh, sort of learning something about new business processes that have been going on for a thousand years or a hundred years, depending on the process, yep. uh, that I just, you know, even 20 years in just had no idea, you know, say, oh yeah, they just issue a delivery order. Right. And what goes into that? Right. At, yeah. uh, at, on the other side of receiving the delivery order and, and being a Dre carrier, for instance. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's it's a common theme in this conversation, but the ongoing learning process is so important. And, and one of the things that I'm happy about that I did realize earlier in my career, uh, and I've traveled, I mean, I have 3 million miles just on American Airlines. So I've, I've been around a bit, 50 odd countries, lived in Latin America for, for five years. But one of the things I always insisted on when possible, especially when visiting customers was, can we see your factory? Can we go see your DC? If you work with a third party, can we go see that facility and just ask questions and listen and take notes where you can, because that's going to broaden your frame of reference. Because on a tactical level at the end, and I mean operationally now, 80% of global trade, it's always different and changing and there's always going to be nuances and such, but a lot of it becomes repetitive after a while. 
80%, let's say maybe 75. So you can apply things you learned in a, in a similar area to new scenarios as you move forward. And, and as I said, also, the thing I like the most about 3PL was that exposure that you get, but you have to take advantage of that exposure. Even today in, in consulting and some of the things that, that we do, always want to hear about the, the client's business, always want to understand their perspective, who's the customer's customer, all of those things to just broaden your frame of reference and put yourself in a better position, whether you work for yourself, your own company, or you're an employee, that you can maximize the amount of value that you create. Because that's in, in, in the end, especially in the service side of things, it, it's about value creation. And in the 3PL space, on an individual level, it's the application of acquired knowledge that counts the most. So I saw a question somebody posed on LinkedIn the other day, one of those sort of ask, ask advice things that they have. Mm -hmm. and, and they said, you know, I'm working in operations and I have, you know, I want to expand. I want to grow. I have all these ideas. How do I get out of or sort of grow past just doing clearances all day or doing, you know, filing bills of lading all day? Do you have kind of any thoughts on where a younger person might look to spread their wings or, or how to go about doing that? Yeah, that's a great one because I've, I've had that experience my, myself earlier in my career, working in brake bulk and cutting airway bills at night and, and all that fun stuff. Um, I, I think the shortest answer is you have to be lucky enough to have a boss who, who's willing to let you do those things. And assuming that you have that type of boss, it's a simple answer, but you, you have to get out and volunteer and say, hey, give me some additional work. Is there an online training, uh, an online free training course that, that I can do? Or is there company stuff that I can do? Um, oftentimes, and I wouldn't exclude my own kids from this characterization because they're of college age and getting out into the workplace. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes the expectation is that things have to come to them where you need to be in a position to put yourself out there and ask for additional work and ask for a project. Is there someplace I can I can help out? Come in on a Saturday. And then the, the huge benefit these days is obviously the internet and free courses and, and even the certificates you can pay for that are reasonably priced just to broaden your own perspective and, and demonstrate a clear commitment to a willingness to work hard to advance to the next level. But you, you do need to be a little bit lucky and, and work for a company that encourages those things and a boss that will serve as a mentor and a guide because it's not always like that. I've found that in my experience, at least, uh, just to sort of add on to that is that almost every job or at least every interesting job I've had in my career, I essentially made up uh, and started doing the work and then said, went back later and said, hey, I'm doing this other thing. Maybe we could turn that into into something, right? So, you know, if, if I'm in operations and I start learning how to build some better Excel reports, right? Or build, you know, use the analytics tool a little differently. then you know what? In six months, you've done it for four, four big customers. Just nobody asked you to. You just send them to the account reps. And next thing you know, you're a data analyst. Right. Right. So it's not always about, you know, certainly if you want to get into 
compliance and classification, you got to go, you got to, you know, get certifications and everything, but you know, whether it's sales, right. Go, you know, talk to the, the clients you're already working with and, and try to figure out a way to go back to the sales guy with a, with a hot lead on, on that. They're going into a new trade lane, right. That sometimes you just do the job. Oh yeah. And then the, the title will find you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and kind of position yourself as that known go-to person. And, you know, no, no, no is never the answer. And just over time, get that reputation for someone that can be relied upon to do quality work and, and take on a challenge. You know, this conversation harkens me back to uh, the, the first public speaking engagement I ever had. I, I never took public speaking in high school, didn't take debate, didn't take public speaking or creative writing in, in college or graduate school for that matter. And I was in sales at this company in Boston. And we had a, an owner, uh, there were three owners, and they v- believe very much in education and what, you know, not, I was going to say webinars, but this was a long time ago. They used to do actual seminars. Lunch and learns. Yeah, yeah, right. And, you know, pro- provide good information in exchange for access to customers. So long story short, we had a, a person who was in charge of that and said person was a, a bit of a, a prima donna and got all huffy one day, like the day before a seminar and, and walked out. And I said, I was 23 years old. And, and it, this, is, this is how long ago this was. I'll never forget the subject. It wasn't even NAFTA. It was US-Canada free trade before NAFTA. And, and I said, I can do this. And, and to their credit, because it was their company and their brand on the line, they let me do it. And I, and I went home, I stayed up all night studying about U.S., you know, because I was going to the webinar, I should the webinar, here I go again, the seminar as, um, you know, as an account rep and just listening and making people feel comfortable and drumming up some sales leads and such. Now I have to make the presentation and stayed up all night studying that material. And if it wasn't for those guys and that leap of faith, a company called Ocean Air in Boston that is still in business to this day. If they hadn't let me do that and put their good name on the line, maybe I wouldn't have gotten that start. I think there might actually be another hidden lesson in there as well, which is that a lot of times we get the impression that everyone else in this industry, because they know how to throw a lot of terminology around, really knows what they're talking about. And in many cases, it's not as the barrier between not knowing anything and knowing more than most people is not that high. Uh, I don't know if I, if that was politically correct, but it's, uh, you know, to, to become, to know enough to educate someone on, on a trade agreement, you may not be educating, you know, the foremost attorney at Sandler Travis, but, you know, to be able to get a good working knowledge on something is not that hard or as hard as people may think. Yeah. That, that's a, another subject of mine. <laughs> if you want to talk about getting politically incorrect quickly, we, we won't go down that path. But but ours is an industry um, where, where if you throw around a couple acronyms and a few trade terms, you, you can make it sound like you know what you're talking about. Uh, it takes a, a little bit more than that. And, and you know, one, one of the benefits of being involved in the educational side of the business, starting with those seminars from ages ago and becoming a an adjunct professor and now it trade facilitators. Here's what I learned. If you want to be a good teacher, you'd better be an even better student. And and that means preparing to the hilt, because if you get up in front of a room full of people and you make a presentation, you need to be ready for any question. Any question is fair game. And, And you can't be BSing people along the way, especially when it's mission critical information 
that you're talking about. So I've, I've taken pride and continue to do so in, in a willingness to, to really learn the material, try to make it interesting, keep it relevant and such, but be, I'd like to think maybe a, a, a step ahead of, of the competition, if you will, in, in terms of providing people with the information they need in the end to be more competitive in their job. And, and that's that's something I take really seriously. So if uh, if people want to take the shortcut and and leverage your knowledge and and your resources, uh, how can they get in touch with you? Where's uh, where's the best place to find to find all this information? Oh wow! So companies trade facilitators incorporated. It's actually the the website and email address is is a shortening of that. It's a, it works out in Spanish actually, but it's uh, tradefacil f a c i l dot com. Uh, contact at tradefossil.com and we can reach out. We had a bunch of inquiries this morning coming into that uh, email address, actually. So that's probably the the best place to do that. Awesome. And uh, I know you're also a little, little bit of a trade show junkie, so you're you're always out and about uh, and, and easy to easy to track down at those things as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, um going to be speaking for the third year running at the Trans-Pacific Maritime Conference in Long Beach. The, the JOC, Journal of Commerce, sponsors kind enough to invite me back for that. So yeah, that's the first week of March, I think. So we'll be, we'll be at that out and about. And then there's uh, Pulse of the Port, but that's, that's tomorrow. I, I live and work very close to the LA Long Beach port complex. So that's my, I'm a Boston boy, but LA Long Beach has been my, my home port for 15 years now. Yeah. You picked a big enough port. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few containers moving around. <laughs> so I think we're, um, we're aiming for a little bit of a streak here. This will be uh, three episodes in a row with people who will be at TPM. So uh, I think we're going to have to have a little reunion of, uh, we, we had Sarah, uh, Sarah Barnes Humphrey from from Let's Talk Supply Chain on last, and Eric before that, and I'll be there as well. Yeah. We're all speaking. That should be a good time, and uh, this should probably be airing uh, just before that. Oh, good. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see everybody really soon who's listening to this on uh, on air date. Well, you know what they say about global trade, especially freight forwarding. It's five o'clock somewhere, so you know what that means. <laughs> it certainly is, and I think it's about five o'clock right now for me. So uh, why, don't, why don't we wrap up? And uh, again, really appreciate you having on. It's uh, it was a fascinating conversation. Likewise, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Dan for participating in today's show. And if you're going to be out at TPM in the next few weeks, please make sure to look Dan up on LinkedIn or me or our previous two guests, uh, Sarah Barnes Humphrey and Eric Johnson. We'll all be there and hanging out. Uh, you can reach out if you just go through Chain.io's LinkedIn or uh, info at Chain.io and reach out if you want to talk to, to us or to any of our other guests. Please let us know and we'll be happy to make the connections. <laughs>